This time on episode 356 of Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., we talk Daredevil season 3, episode 7, Aftermath, and season 3, episode 8, Upstairs, Downstairs. We talk weekly Marvel news, and we talk your feedback. I'm Stephen John Drew from the official GunnaGeek.com show, a weekly geek news podcast that is a part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other awesome geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. You have been granted clearance by director Alfonso Mac McKenzie. Stand by for a shield debriefing. All information to be discussed here is classified and may only be discussed among agents granted clearance by the S.H.I.E.L.D. director. Now it's time for your scheduled debriefing. I'm Agent Lauren. I'm Agent Michelle. And I'm producer of the show, SP. Welcome to Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., a Marvel Comic Universe fan show. This show is recorded on Thursday, December 10th, 2020, live from the Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. studios and broadcast New York-wide via www.geeks.live. Come join our live chat as we record. Ladies, happy Nobel Prize Day. Okay. The Nobel Prize is all well and good, but have you heard of the Ig Nobel Prize? No, do tell. Okay. Oh, my God. You haven't heard of it. Okay. Okay. It is kind of an, not really an anti-ceremony. The actual description of it is, they honor achievements that first make people laugh and then make them think. This year, the award was held in September. I think it's traditionally held the day before or the evening before the actual Nobel Prizes are awarded. And they've had such things in the past as, oh, geez, there's so many and so many good ones. I'm trying to figure out which one SP won't have to censor. Okay, here's (laughs) from 2020 from this year. For the Acoustics Prize, for example, the winners were from Austria, Sweden, Japan, USA, and Switzerland for inducing a female Chinese alligator to bellow in an airtight chamber filled with helium-enriched air. And the paper was called A Chinese Alligator in Heliox, Formant Frequencies in a Crocodilian. It's just all like (laughs) weird stuff like that. And it's so good. The Nobel Prize is very important, very fantastic. There's some really good stuff that comes out of it. But for me, the Ig Nobels is always where my heart is. Okay, that must be when the prizes are actually announced, the winners are announced. The award ceremony is actually December 10th every year for the Nobel Prize. And it's held on December 10th because it is the anniversary of Alfred Nobel's death. So they just keep the award ceremony on the day. So I think it is, I think you're right. I think it is September. I don't remember the exact day that the awards are announced, but I will have to look that up. So Ig, is that IGG? IG and then Nobel. Okay. N-O-B-E-L. IG Nobel. Yes. All right. So you've given me homework to look (laughs) at, which I will get to. I promise it's fun homework. Okay. Which I'll probably get to when I edit the show. All right, let's move on with why we're here to talk about Marvel and Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. as a fan-based podcast on the Marvel Cinematic and Comic Book Universes. Because of sad goat noises. If you'd like to talk to us about sad goat noises, you can visit our website, legendsofshield.com. 
You can also leave us a voicemail, maybe with your sad goat noise, at 844-THE-BUS-1. That's 844-843-2871. You can tell us all about your sad goat or other animal noises on our Facebook page, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. You can see our faces on YouTube at youtube.com slash gunnageek. You can tell your Amazon device to enable Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. skill. You can join our Discord server at gunnageek.com slash discord. And remember, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a proud member of the gunnageek.com network. Sad goat noises, sad barnyard animal noises <laughs> in inappropriate places, loud barnyard noises in inappropriate places. Yeah, I, I can see that all there. So we're going to talk that and a whole bunch of other things. Just a second. Daredevil, season three, episode seven, season three, episode eight, aftermath and upstairs slash downstairs were published in Netflix on October 19th, 2018, just over two years ago at this point in time. Michelle, why don't you run down the creative team of Aftermath? This episode was directed by Toa Frazier, has 21 directing credits starting in 2006, including One Penny Dreadful, Two The Shannar Chronicles, Four Into the Badlands, One Iron Fist, One Daredevil, One Swamp Thing, One Titans, one star girl. This episode was written by Sarah Streicher, has three writing credits starting in 2011, including one Daredevil, but being um, the staff writer in 13 episodes and four episodes of The Wild, and she's also the creator. All right. Lauren, why don't you run down the creative team behind Upstairs and Downstairs? The episode was directed by, and I'm fairly sure I have this right. Alex Zarshevsky, who has 71 directing credits starting in the year 2000, including one of Crossing Jordan, four of Oz, seven of Law and Order Criminal Intent, two of The Wire, two of Life on Mars, 11 of Numbers, one of Person of Interest, 11 of CSI New York, one of Once Upon a Time, two of The Blacklist, two of The Man in the High Castle, one episode of Daredevil, 13 of Blue Bloods, two of Stumptown, and 13 of Bosch. The episode was also written by Dara Resnick, who has 11 writing credits starting in 2007, including two of Pushing Daisies, yes, two of Mistresses, five of Castle, one of Jane the Virgin, two of Daredevil, and two of Home Before Dark. Wow, so Alex, the director, he took on the show Stumptown, which I, despite the person that starred in it, I did not see a single episode. Michelle, I believe I remember you saying that you were going to watch Stumptown. Did you watch any of that? Well, I was going to watch it, and then then it was canceled, and then it went to the back burner, and then it was renewed. I'm like, okay, I'll watch it, but then it got canceled again, so it's way on the back burner. Yeah, a friend of mine has been watching it, or did watch it, and really enjoyed it, though. Okay. Kobe was in it, and of course, she's Agent Hill and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And the other one that I was looking at in the list that Alex directed was a episode of Persons of Interest, or Person of Interest, which was an interesting show, 
I think it would probably be a little bit dated right now, but it was interesting. I remember watching the first. Okay, I've seen some of it. I keep meaning to finish it because I've heard it gets really fantastic. But the night it premiered, my very Catholic mother was staying with me for the weekend. And she was texting my aunts while we were watching it going, I, Jesus is so sexy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Because it starred the guy who. Because it stars Jim Caviezel. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Who played Jesus. Jim was really good in the series. Oh yeah. I enjoyed it. I used to describe it as the show where Jesus is Batman. You know? Yeah, that's pretty much. I mean, he was in the suit. He was always called the guy in the suit. So yeah, I could see that Batman. Plus, it was co-created by Jonathan Nolan, who is Christopher Nolan's brother. That is making so much sense to me right now. All right. The reason that I go in, I don't think I've ever mentioned this before, but the reason as we're talking about the creative team, the reason I go into some of these series is just to highlight some of the work that the creative team, the writers and the directors have done previously or after in some cases to the show, their aggregate work, because For a large part, they do a fantastic job of giving us this Marvel content, and I just want to call all of them out. That's why we go over their uh, filmography, and that's why I pick out a few series that I'm familiar with, and then we talk about. I'm very glad that you do that, because it's a very good way. Like If you you really like the way a writer or director use the characters, you can go back and see, oh, they did this. Now I can see how they got here. Or if you really liked how they did action, you know, now we've discussed which directors have been very good at the action scenes. And I really like that you do that because so much of we always hear about, you know, oh, best actor or best writer, best director at the Academy Awards. But you don't tend to hear about TV writers and directors. And it was kind of a like a second rate job as far as I know for a very long time. And it wasn't until like prestige TV started coming to the forefront that you started getting a lot more people noticing who the writers and directors are. And that's why we've been calling them out every week that we talk about an episode. So moving on to these episodes, aftermath and upstairs downstairs, it starts in the aftermath of the attack on the bulletin and goes all the way to the big reveal at the end of upstairs downstairs between Sister Maggie and Daredevil. You know, we've been beating around the bush about this, so we're just going to get it out of the way to begin with. In case you're watching these episode by episode with us, this was a big reveal at the end. Sister Maggie is Daredevil's mother. Yes, I actually did that. Actually, no, I was. it's like the comic book person in me is like, I know this. But is the show going to go there? And when that happened, and I really liked, because it's called Upstairs, Downstairs for a lot of reasons. We get fights upstairs, downstairs, and then there's the whole Fisk reveal of, you know, he's up in his bedroom and down. But she's up in the church. He's downstairs in the basement. I don't know. I guess she just doesn't realize how powerful his hearing is. I was like, she knows he can see in a way like he has a special ability you know you know he's blind but there she is upstairs praying and praying not to god really but praying to his dad and he's like you're too much like our son 
And the reaction of Daredevil, of Matt, so like he almost wants to faint. That was just brilliant. It was a real no, I am your father moment right there. Even though, yeah, like Michelle, I've known this for years. But there's always that small little like, okay, I know they're probably doing this, but are they though? And it was still, it was so nice. That reaction was so good. Yeah, I think he says mom. And then he's like, oh my gosh. They set it up in these two episodes. They set it up his hearing because when they were in the attack or in the gunfight or whatever of Dex's apartment, he was saying, yeah, the neighbor called 911. He's had three shots. He's reloading the clip. I'll let you know. So they set up the whole hearing thing earlier on. They referenced it right there. So it's not that big of a stretch at the end of the episode. If you're only watching like one a week and you forget about everything that's happening or whatever, they did include it in here. So it's Chekhov's super hearing. Yeah, pretty much. The whole season has been that way, but they made sure they hit it right in this episode so that we were able to do that. So I think that uh, the whole bunch of things are going to happen. This is a 13 episode season. This is episode eight, effectively halfway for us as we're going through here. I think that was a, a great way to end our halfway point here. And now I don't know if Matt is going to confront her or if she's going to just let the cat out of the bag. But the two of them in the next episode or two are going to have this moment where He's going to reveal that he knows or she's going to just tell him something like that. And that's going to be an interesting conversation. I don't see him being able to just drop it. I think he's going to confront her and he's going to be mad. But I don't know if it's going to be next episode because the way the show does it, they'll let things simmer for an episode or so. So it could be two episodes from now, which we will watch for next week. (laughs) We'll get it for next week. Who knows? It could be in the first 30 seconds of next episode. I don't know. Something that I wanted to talk about in the beginning of the episode aftermath, it opens up on all these cell phones ringing at the police station. Yes. And the first thing that I thought of was the Pulse Massacre back, you know, the gay club in Orlando. And I did some research and starting in 2008, there's always been articles about how this at the scenes of mass shootings the thing that haunts the first responders is all of these cell phones ringing that their loved one is never going to answer. And it's a very, very visceral thing. Kudos to them for doing that because it is an unfortunate aspect of the reality we live in. If you're in a disaster, you're trying to reach your loved ones. It's just this little artifact left behind. It's what we have to deal with in the modern era where in previous eras, if there was a tragedy, like we just passed December 7th, 1941, which was Pearl Harbor when the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, that took a long time to get out. And of course there was war secrets. So you couldn't reveal who was survived and, and who was not, but that took weeks or months. And this, it's like, you want that instant gratification and you don't get that instant gratification. And when you're used to it and you can't get it because the phone lines are down or, or the person can't respond or, or whatever it is. It, it's it, wow. Especially if you're sending the messages that aren't being responded to. So, I mean, you have them in your timeline on your phone. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of called back to later in the episode where Karen confronts Fisk and she's telling him the first 24 hours are really the worst. Aren't they? When you're expecting to hear back from them. 
that was an incredibly dramatic confrontation between Fisk and Karen. I almost think it's unnecessary. I think she acted irrationally. And I think in the grand scheme of things, could it have waited? Or did she think that in a day things were going to change so much that she had to do it right now? Because she left Foggy hanging. So do you guys think Karen acted irresponsibly when she went to go see Fisk? Yes. Absolutely. But at the same time, who in this series acts well, Foggy, I guess, is the only responsible person. I guess that's what disappoints me is I know Karen just witnessed the massacre. She just lost her job. Her dad is, I got to find a word that SP doesn't have to edit out. (laughs) Jerk. Irresponsible. Oh, you can't come home right now because it's inconvenient, even though you're having a nervous breakdown. And instead of, you know, Foggy does go to her. It's like, look, I have this plan and he is offering support. He is offering the structured plan and you can do this. Then she just goes and it's almost like the Felix Manning thing again. She goes in like she thought when she confronted Felix Manning, she had everything that she needed. She was going to be in control of the situation. And she went in there thinking that she was going to get Fisk in some sort of emotional deal. Instead, she really confirms that he already knew that Matt is Daredevil. Just that slight twinge of the face because Fisk is so observant. He just went, yep. Thank you for verifying that. That's all I needed. I knew, but now I really know. And for some reason, she talks about murdering Wesley to someone who is being watched by the FBI. I know that times that the camera's off and all these other different things. And but I get why she was trying to do it, but. You're going into not even the lion's den, more like the snake that you never see who's just been waiting there. There are snakes that can wait for a very long time for prey to come along. That's where you're going. And she just messes it up spectacularly. I've been giving this a lot of thought because that was an incredible incredibly stupid thing to do but again like michelle says i understand where she's at emotionally like that sense of control that she has has been ripped away she's seen her colleagues murdered and assaulted and brain dead in front of her that one woman who passed by very clearly looked like she blamed karen matt's off doing who knows what foggy i mean he's there but he's a little bit removed from the situation. And then finally, when her dad, you know, your family is supposed to be your support no matter what. Unfortunately, that's not always the case. And I don't remember how much we learned about her past. I read a lot of fanfic and I like to spoil myself. So I know some of what's happened in her past. I don't remember if it's actually been addressed on the show. I think between here and the Punisher, I want to say most of it has come out, but I don't know if all of it's come out. SP, edit this. If this is a spoiler, we know about her brother, right? Yes. Okay. So 
I think a lot of that tension between her and her dad is I think her dad still blames her for her brother's death. Oh, yeah. So you have her having the survivor's guilt of the massacre at the Bulletin. You have her with the survivor's guilt of her brother. She needs something to control. She decides to go hurt Fisk. I don't think she went in there really with a plan. I think she's trying just to get some control. And I think she thought that by hurting Fisk, it puts her in an advantage over him and might make him act stupid. Who knows? But that's not how Fisk is. This was a terrible plan. People who make good decisions don't end up vigilantes. But still, even judging by those standards, Karen, why? should make that into a t-shirt. People that make good decisions don't end up vigilantes. I like that. I like that. <laughs> Talking about her savior here, Foggy came to her rescue because Fisk was going to kill her under FBI control or not. Foggy came to rescue her, but he had to leave his attack on Fisk at this banquet. He had to, like, in the middle of it, he had to, like, just throw down and leave to get there in time to save her and kind of knew that this all was going to happen. He mentions to her later, I just imagined my worst possible case ever, and I knew that's what you were going to do. So I had to go take care of it. But he's ruined his attack now, his whole plan. I don't know how he thought that was a good idea because Karen's right. Fisk has already thought of all these things and he's going to best you on it. I don't know why Foggy, Matt, and Karen are all taking these individual attacks and none of them are proving successful. Okay. I was also thinking that this episode, we have Foggy, who is, I think, kind of the moral center of the show. He's the person who still believes in the system, who thinks, okay, if we just do this right, we can bring him down. And he was trying to make all these connections, reading through Marcy's casework files. And I saw him basically, I, was, I think he was going to try to pull an Al Capone and go through him financially if you can't get him through actual criminal stuff. But again, Karen, the one who's like, okay, but if I give the truth, Karen is the brain here. She's the one who's trying to go in a more cerebral way. You attack the hearts and minds of the public. And she thinks if I can just put out the truth, people won't help him. And again, that doesn't work because he's got too many people. And we have Matt, who's, I guess, the emotional heart of the show, who's like, I will just go and hit him where it hurts. I will hit him. And again, that doesn't work because Fisk has Fisk knows how to attack the brain. He knows how to attack the mind. And he knows how to attack the heart. They need to work together. And I think that's what the series is leading to. I think it's only through them like Voltroning all of their three disparate abilities that they're going to be able to do something that he either doesn't expect or he can't counter or it's too many hits at once. But none of them can do this individually. I kind of figured Electra and Stick would come back and save his butt. No, I'm pretty sure Stick is very dead. I know. I was just trying to make a little joke there. Yeah, and the object of their attacks is Fisk. 
we find out now i guess i watched the first few minutes of episode seven last time i talked about that last time i I talked about the fact that he got all his stuff back that happened at the beginning of, of episode seven so i'm sorry if i ruin that for everybody but his penthouse is now stacked with all of his stuff that we saw in his other penthouse and he's in there just lavishing luxury getting room service as karen points out and he is controlling everything from behind the scenes because he's got a back door that goes down a level or two into his own little command center through his closet i come on fbi doesn't know that there's a little command center going on a couple of floors down really they don't check out everything because they're guarding the most wanted prisoner around really if you don't know the door is there and i'm sure he probably has fake blueprints on file you can do that so there's just no way to look at maybe the blueprints and he probably has someone in the fbi we just don't know who yet and i'm not talking about dexter i'm talking about probably someone else I know it's far-fetched, but really, if it was anyone else but Fisk, I think we would be like, nah. But it's Fisk. He's the one that is orchestrating the downfall of the Albanians. He's the one that bought the hotel. He had himself shaked. I keep saying he's 20 steps ahead. Matt is like, you know, Fisk is five steps ahead of me. I'm just like, no, Matt, add 15. He's 20 steps ahead of you. It's Fisk. You don't think he's been planning for this sort of eventuality since he decided, first of all, since he got the resources. We know, okay, he was a criminal before he had the resources. Now he has the resources, which makes him triply dangerous. So you don't think he knew that one day someone was going to come for him, someone's going to try to bring him down, might as well have some backup and safe houses and back doors in all these various buildings that he owns just in case he gets put there. Every time we see Fisk, he's so meticulous, whether it's with his appearance, the art that he has. It's all, I mean, yeah, it's modern art, but it's all very, very clean lines, very limited color palette. It's very deliberate art. And you can tell a lot about a person by what kind of art they appreciate. Thank you, Grand Admiral Thrawn. Yeah, nice analogy there. I I do want to go a step further with the art. There was a challenge to the rabbit painting. And I don't think that that's just going to lay down because it's very important to Fisk. You know, you got the whole Vanessa thing in there as well. I'm wondering who the challenge to the ownership is. Is it Vanessa herself? Is it somebody else that like maybe the punish i don't know who the challenge to this uh, of ownership is but that's very a very interesting tidbit of information because it's not just gonna it's very important to fisk it's not gonna just go away do you guys have any speculation on who the challenge is coming from my theory is um like a hand level rival behind the scenes somebody madam gal maybe because she's still around right We'll see. I don't know. Yeah. Michelle, any speculation? I'm wondering if it's connected to the IRS thing. Oh, yeah. Because we've, well, I wonder if that, because we only went 
as far as Karen could go just to get the information that Wilson Fisk had bought the building. I guess that might not go away. It could still come out to the public. That was Foggy's plan all along. He just didn't get to it yet. But we'll see. We'll keep that in our minds. In the meantime, we got to talk about Dex. This has been (laughs) a four-episode terrible arc for the man. He's murdered all those people at the Bulletin. And then he is trying to go back to his therapy. And I know, Lauren, you've got a lot to say about that. He's trying to go back to his therapy and get centered again. Finds out that he needs uh, somebody else to help him center. And he's really fixated on Julie, even though he scared her away. So he's got to go talk to her about that. That ends up being the really loud bah in the coffee house, which was kind of inappropriate or whatever. They end up laughing about it, whatever. So great. but. He did that, and then that causes Fist to either kidnap or kill Julie. I'm not sure of what happened there. It was killed, so Julie's dead. Oh, yeah. She came in, was like, oh, did the landlord, and the guy went, I wasn't sure if that was a stun gun or not, so I didn't watch that close, I guess. So anyway, Julie's dead, and then Fisk manipulates him into this puddle uh, that's hugging him and and yelling really loud in the control room and fist secret control room. So there's a lot going on with Dex here. On one hand, I feel really sorry for him. On the other hand, there's so much information about him from the little kittens that he said he killed to the coach. He killed to all those people he murdered at the bulletin. This is a psychopath. So I talked a little bit last week about antisocial personality disorder, everything like that. I've spent this past week just kind of for my own benefit, doing some research. Okay, first of all, I want to talk about a thing called mirror neurons. What these are, it's neurons in your frontal lobe that are kind of responsible for learning behavior. You see someone do a thing, it's like these connections are made in your brain on how things are done. I've read a few studies that with people with antisocial personality disorder, there are fewer mirror neurons in their frontal lobes. Whereas somebody sees something bad happen and kind of instinctually puts themselves in their place and is like, oh, that's bad. Somebody with fewer mirror neurons has a hard time establishing that common bond with a person. One of the ways that antisocial personality disorder is treated is a little bit of what we saw in the previous episodes with his therapist. It's called mentalization-based therapy. And what it is, is you are supposed to, you you actively work on putting yourself in a situation and the therapist has less of a I'm a professional. It's more of like what she was doing, which was questioning, like, why did you do this? Okay, this is the situation. This is what you do and the correct thing to do in this situation. The thing is, what they did wrong with him, it's a thing called transference. And it's basically exactly what it sounds like. It's when somebody transfers emotions, anything like that from one person or thing to another person or thing in this case she got him 
codependent on her. And that's transference. Instead of being centered on yourself, you are now centered on another person. That is not supposed to happen. That makes someone, like Michelle mentioned a couple of, uh, either last episode or a couple of episodes ago, you are putting an undue burden on that person. So he, Dex, has transferred his need for a moral center from his therapist on to Julie. And with Julie gone, the next person who is available to be that object of transference, that emotional center, is Fisk. It's a form of control. This is very common in abusive situations. It's why you hear, you know, when people are in abusive relationships, that they cut you off from seeing your friends and your family. You are only dependent on them. They are your only constant. And this is what Fisk is doing to Dex. This is what Fisk was trying to do with Melvin. He is somebody who knows the power that he has and what other people can do for him. So if they are only dependent on him, then that's how he controls them. So yeah, in this, Dex is absolutely a victim. It's, again, cool motive, still murder. He did just slaughter a bunch of people at the newspaper, but he is absolutely being manipulated. It just continues to prove what a monster Fisk is, who, by the way, does not show any traits of antisocial personality disorder. He is very clearly capable of fear for others. Hmm. Again, it's the nature versus nurture, it's biology, it's the people around you. A diagnosis does not mean you will act a certain way. But if circumstances press anyone, they are closer to doing that. I think those personality traits for Fisk show up even in his head version with Daredevil, with Matt. And we see that again in in the second episode where Fisk does show up and talks back and forth with Matt when he's in the basement of the church. Those are very interesting conversations. I think we've talked about it before, and our assessment is that it is all in Matt's head, but it is true to Fisk. It is true to how he would act. It is not Matt's construct of Fisk. Of course it is, but it is basically like Fisk is there. That's because Fisk knows how to build you up and then tear you down. He is manipulative and controlling, has some anger issues, but obviously can love and has his version of compassion. He values loyalty in an interesting way. When we go to Nadim, the story of Jiggy, where Jiggy seems to be helping everyone, but then in reality, Jiggy is planting heroin in those who are supposed to be helped. So in a way, Fisk isn't exactly as crude as Jiggy. It's like the first season of Daredevil. He was on the surface, that savior of Hell's Kitchen and charitable and trying to be a developer. But then in the background, doing all those, you know, awful things. That's Fisk. So two things. One, it is very common for people who were abused to themselves become abusers. Because that's like the only model of how to act that you have. And two, it was so amusing to hear Vincent D'Onofrio as Wilson Fisk say, Jiggy. (laughs) 
Yeah, Will Smith and and Vincent, uh, they they probably spent some time together clubbing <laughs> when, in New York. You know, when they're both filming, so getting, getting jiggy, jiggy with, with it. it. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. So Daredevil is trying to take these tacks to go after Fisk, and he ends up trying to team up with FBI, who he's simultaneously trying to beat up. But he finally gets to Ray Nadim, which is very interesting. Ray Nadim is entirely interesting. At the beginning of these two episodes, we see him go full bore into Karen because he's already got the thought in his mind that Karen has something to do with Wesley. And then she is at the bulletin. Daredevil says, Karen, we talked about that last episode. Nadim is thinking Karen is this pivotal character in all this, which, you know, of course she is as far as the story is concerned with the series here, but as far as Fisk, no, she's not helping Fisk at all. And Dare, it was the wrong daredevil and everything. We know that. But Nadim is going down these incorrect paths that we know as an audience, but as an FBI agent, you can't exactly blame him. I think one of the things that I do blame him for is that he goes into his sack. What is it? Uh, the agent in charge, senior agent in charge, Tammy Hatley. And they're going back and forth about how Fisk might indeed be playing them. And they're like, no, we can't tell our superiors. Why not? You should be telling your superiors. You should be telling them all the possibilities. You should. I mean, if this big of a mess is going on, the superiors should be around and getting some information. So I have a little bit of an issue for there. Okay. Because story, because plot, as a good co-host of ours used to say, Neil. But there is definitely things going on. And then when Daredevil meets Nadim in his basement, they have this conversation and all of a sudden Nadim's like, okay, what do you got? And Daredevil comes out, Matt comes out and says, well, the other Daredevil, it's an FBI agent. And of course that gets Nadim all up in arms because one of his brothers, one of the people, Sheeps and Wolf Holding, of course, is there. So now he's like, okay, we'll look into Dex here because that's the person who it might be. They end up in a shootout, basically in in Dex's apartment or from Dex's apartment and they find uh, the tapes kind of semi implicating Dex of where he's going and uh, Ray gets shot and then ultimately calls his boss. I think that's what happens at the end of the episode. The last time we see Ray, he's bleeding. He's been shot. He's lied to his wife about being out and he promised he wouldn't lie to her. So we know things are going on there, but he calls his boss. I don't know what's going to happen because of that, but they are now officially on to Dex. So we'll see what happens there. Well, what do you guys think of, of Ray Nadim in this whole thing? I mean, he gets his promotion at least. It's this idea of first losing face and admitting that they were taken advantage of. But he says that all the work that they've done would go away. Not necessarily. I mean, Fisk used them to absolve his crimes and make himself look good but his information is true he lied by telling the truth the best lies are wrapped in truth i don't really think i guess they think that all the convictions and everything would be overturned because they would be exposed for fisk using them but technically foggy has the conditions and number three is conspiring to commit a felony or some sort of crime. 
So actually being exposed for using the FBI would violate condition number three and get him back in if I am interpreting the law according to Foggy Nelson correctly. I think a lot of it also is with regards of, oh, we can't tell anyone. There is a tremendous pressure that I've, okay, Grant, I I do not work in the FBI. I do not work in the police. I do not work in the military. I don't work in any forward-facing public area. But from what I've gleaned from people that I know, including family members who do, and from reading the news, from reading, you know, just various things, is admitting to the public that you did something wrong. If it comes out that you did something wrong, you can't do it because it undermines your authority. And I think that's a lot of what it is. It's we look weak, we look stupid, whatever. There's also the possibility that there some of the people there are on Wilson's take. Like you always want to think there's only so much that incompetence can qualify for. But then again, oh, incompetence is what well, what's the saying? Never ascribe maliciousness where incompetence can be the answer. It's something like it, it's it's something like that. I don't it's remember a bit the saying for a T-shirt, but OK. Yeah. Yeah. I mentioned before about Hatley, about Agent Hatley. Maybe she's been on the take and. We banded that back and forth. There's no clear, definitive answer at this point, but it's a possibility. I could see it, but I could also see the other way. I mean, there's no proof either way at this point. Okay, so Daredevil, he's doing some fights in these two episodes. He had the fight in the... We haven't talked about the suit yet. He's trying to investigate. Matt's trying to investigate. He finds Melvin and then finds Melvin is actually together with his parole officer Another thing that is very exploitable and highly illegal, actually, and, and everything. But Fisk is able to exploit that pretty easily. Uh, Melvin takes Matt to his, well, Daredevil, because he doesn't know him as Matt. But he takes Daredevil to the shop and ends up trying to lock him up there yeah. for the FBI to come. And we find out that Melvin has, again, Fisk is controlling him. Fisk is threatening Betsy again and melvin is slow he tries his best he's very good at a lot of things like he made the suit and the suit is awesome but when matt tries to tell him other ways melvin's like no this is he's fixated on that one thing which is betsy and he knows it's wrong but he needs to keep betsy safe and again fisk is using not only his connection to betsy but the illegality of a parole officer being together with her parolee. So that's like double, it's double the advantage that he has over them. And I just, I feel so bad for Melvin because he's not a bad guy. He's just someone who is easily taken advantage of and manipulated. And at the end, when the FBI do take him into custody, all he cares about is Betsy. You got to say, Betsy, you got to protect Betsy. He doesn't care about himself as obviously he's being taken into custody. Probably going to end up in jail because of his illegal activities and making the vigilante suits. Plus, he threw a uh, saw blade at a bed. Well, and that's I think just self-defense. You don't know who's knocking at the door. Um, 
Yeah, I know. I know. I'm just being the lawyer, right? The defense <laughs> lawyer in this case. So yeah, he's going to end up back in jail. And luckily later on, I think maybe this is like a kill the dog sort of thing later on that fist said, no, we're not going to press against Betsy or Melvin. So we know that they are not threats probably won't be back in the series again. I don't know, but at least we don't have to worry about them being taken out of the, of the equation because this is like, you know, call the dogs off to Felix, but daredevil has a, a very explosive fight with Melvin. I mean, Melvin's doing good at that point. And then the fight later on at Dex's apartment and uh, with the gunplay and, and that going on. I don't know. Did Matt get, shot i don't think matt got shot i think for once matt did not get shot no but we did see a, a shirtless scene in these two episodes as he's changing you know mm-hmm. from the bed when fisk is talking to him so he didn't have oozing wounds he's definitely not clean but he didn't have oozing wasn't wounds. maggie trying to stitch him up at the beginning yeah yes that's a bit oozing yeah so a lot happened even though i wouldn't say these are the most explosive or the best episodes of the series they continue to have me interested i mean how would you rate michelle how would you rate these two episodes getting better matt might still be a jerk but because there's less matt in the episodes and more karen and foggy who foggy by the way had omg i'm alive sex and I want to give it up to Marcy for saying no to the wedding proposal because that was not a proper marriage proposal. She was completely right about that. So good on her. So because there's more of the other characters, it's really improved the quality of the season. Lauren? I think these episodes were very, very good from a character standpoint. I think that is the advantage of these episodes. I really, really like what they're doing with Dex by showing us, yeah, he's a bad guy, but he's also a victim. We see, you know, yeah, Daredevil's a jerk. Sometimes the good guys are jerks. All of the stuff with Fisk, I think, is fascinating. And watching, I was just kind of struck once again by how underrated Foggy is as a character. He's just... I don't know. I find him really, really compelling this season. I think Foggy has been in a couple of the series right before. I know he was in Iron Fist. I don't think he was in Jessica Jones. I thought he had like one appearance in an episode of Jessica Jones at Jerry's office. Yeah, he was in Jessica Jones. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He was um, when she ended up arrested. Yeah, I think he showed up as like her lawyer to get her out or something. It's been, I've slept since then. (laughs) It's been a while since we covered it. So yeah, Foggy's been a continual threat ever since the Defenders and in all these universes, which is good. And he, there's no law firm with him and Matt, you know, he's in the big law firm with Marcy, which amazing that Foggy is still with Marcy. I, I just want to commend the series that those two are still together, very much together, even though she didn't say yes. She didn't say no. And she said, when you do it, I want to make sure it comes from your heart. So like eventually she's expecting it, but it's just not it's the wrong time right now. Yeah. People make very rash decisions after trauma. Getting married is one of those things that you hear about a lot with people who just lived through a big event being like, life is so short. We need to do this right now. 
it is a very understandable reaction. However, Marcy, who was not directly involved in that, has a clearer head there and is like, we want to make sure that we have actually thought this out before we do it. I'm a lawyer. I know how much divorce is cost. Yeah. I feel like was the subtext there. And they got quite the apartment. So I'm sure there's going to be a prenup. Uh, yeah. That's a good question. I, I guess she was making bank before he was brought on board, but I just was thinking that they were both equals, but I guess the inference is that she makes more than he does, which is fine. I, I just, I thought they she's were been there longer. She by rights should. Yeah. I don't think it was that much longer, but yeah, she was longer because foggy went out and did his own law firm where she got him. Okay. Yeah. All right. Plus it could be, I don't actually remember what branch of law Marcy practices. I'm not sure. I have an inordinate amount of lawyer friends. So, yeah, certain fields pay way better than others. Yeah, she seemed to be with the IRS part. So she's tax law is basically the most lucrative. Yeah, she understands tax law because it seems Foggy is more of a defender. Um, He's a defense lawyer, a criminal defense lawyer. And there's a lot more of those. Then there are tax lawyers and property lawyers and such. I'm not sure if their firm does defend. I think he, well, maybe. It seems like, yeah, he he's very much in kind of the interpersonal legal conflict stuff. Like, again, he went to law school, sounds like, for criminal law. So you wouldn't expect a criminal lawyer to handle a tax case. I feel like what Hogarth, you know, and associates, whatever, does i feel like they have a wide variety of lawyers and they seem to cater to again it brings in more for the company i think jerry horgarth is on her own now she got rid of her partners or they separated from the partners if i remember that correctly and then this is going way back into my brain because i can't remember when we covered the first season of daredevil but wasn't foggy interning i think at that law firm i remember a scene with them in like a closet uh him and matt in like a copier or office supply closet i don't know if it was there but yeah they definitely were interning at a firm together Uh, okay well we'll see what happens we have i believe three episodes of legends of shield on daredevil next time we're talking about season three episode nine and ten revelations and karen and then the following week will be or the following episode which i think is going to be in three weeks after that will be episode 11 and 12 and then we'll come back with the finale probably and i'll have to take a look at the schedule michelle's going to chastise me for not knowing this off the top of my head but i think then we get into wandavision so it'll be a good transition right into it yes yes because i actually did the math and (laughs) we stick to our holiday schedule and everything we will end and then wandavision actually premieres so we should be able I like it when things like that happen. We all know this. <laughs> we all know the whole Iron Fisk fiasco or whatever. It fit. It fit. Michelle likes that. And it's so great that we're talking Daredevil right now because there's a big announcement that we're going to talk about in a second. <laughs> Well, we have a few news pieces. The first one is about why certain people shouldn't have a Twitter account. 
Oh boy, it's been a week. Letitia Wright, Shuri from Black Panther and Avengers, etc., deleted her Twitter this week after posting an anti-vax video. Okay. She retweeted a video from a religious YouTube channel that questioned the legitimacy of the COVID-19 vaccine, appears skeptical of climate change, accuses China of deliberately spreading COVID-19, and to top it all off, included a lot of transphobic comments because that has anything to do with vaccines. Okay. Um, Unsurprisingly, Twitter is not here for the supposed smartest scientist in the Marvel universe spreading pseudoscience and anti-science nonsense. Don Cheadle kind of didn't know what was going on at first tweeted by Letitia as a joke because of the by Felicia thing started sticking up for her, admitted he didn't know what was going on, watched the video himself, and then said that the video was garbage and he was going to take his discussion with her offline. And unfortunately, in the past, Letitia has also posted and liked QAnon-related theories. I know that celebrities are just people and they aren't their characters, nothing like that, but it is always disappointing to me to see anybody with any sort of following yeah of follow I, I keep wanting to say apple box but that's not the word soapbox anyone with any sort of platform you know using that to promote things that cause harm i was not a happy bunny this week with regards to that I don't think I've mentioned this to you guys before. Maybe I did like offline last week or whatever, but my daughter recently got a job at a hospital as a nursing assistant as she is on her way to become a nurse. It's not related. She's a nursing assistant because the opportunity was there and she wanted to work in a hospital as she was getting her degree. Anyway, so as a nursing assistant, you go around the hospital and you spend time with nurses as well as doing your nursing assistant duties. And so I guess when they eat meals or whatever in their break room, they're talking back and forth. And she was saying to a T, all of these nurses that she was talking to said they weren't going to get the vaccine because it caused infertility. So I was like, okay, I haven't heard this yet. So I went and looked into some research as much as I could find and uh, articles and it's been debunked. There is no facts out there for it, but I'm just a whole hospital of nurses think this, even though there's been no information staying. It's just, it's false information that they've gotten from Facebook basically. And how can you even tell that? Because it hasn't been nine months yet since the, you know, the vaccines and trials have started. So I can't say yes or no based on that fact, but there is no indication that fertility has been affected. I weep for the nurses out there that aren't getting the information that they really should. Michelle, you looked like you had something to say, and I know I certainly do. I really, this upsets me so much. And it's like, the science teacher I worked with that didn't believe in evolution and didn't want to teach it when evolution is back. But you have a certain set. I know two nurses in my life. I know the education 
that they go through, how intense it is, what they are supposed to know. This how I understand that there's always a bell curve in any profession, but the ones in certain professions like doctors and nurses, those on the lower end should at least understand the importance of vaccines and how, you know, that's why we don't have like polio. And well, we used to not have polio and have to worry about measles. But for some reason, this whole anti-vax, that the whole idea of I'd rather have my child die because autism, when autism isn't evil or life ending, or it's just, I flames, flames on the side of my face, side of my face. So I will say that I understand minority communities, particularly the black and native American communities being very concerned about new vaccines and stuff coming out. And especially the thought of a widespread vaccine program. If you go back and you look into medical history, the medical community has not been great about how it treats black people. If you go back and you look at the 1918 flu epidemic and how they implemented that mandatory vaccine, there was a lot of harassment, particularly of black people and arresting them and experimentation. Human experimentation on minorities is a very, very recent. It's in people's recent memories. So I understand that sort of ingrained fear in communities. However, there is a thing called the Gish Gallop. It is a method used in an argument where you throw out all sorts of things that are not true. They're going to be injecting, you know, microchips into you. It's going to turn you gay. It's going to cause autism. It's going to just thing after thing after thing after thing. And the thing is, the way that the human mind works, people remember those because it's in short things. It is a lot harder and takes a lot more time to refute things. And that is how people win by a gish gallop. There is a lot of things to be concerned about with a rush vaccine. I know somebody very, very close to me who has been advised by their doctor to not get it because they recently underwent very intensive treatment for cancer and they don't know how it's going to affect an already weakened system in this manner. Their people can't get vaccines because of allergies to certain ingredients like egg ingredients, egg proteins in the MMR vaccine and the flu vaccine. And to think that somebody is holding on to a debunked conspiracy theory instead of trying to keep people who physically cannot take this vaccine safe. Like Michelle said, flames on the side of my face. I'm holding back a lot of words right now. I'm hoping that the, in this particular case, I'm hoping that the hospital staff, the leadership will come out and do an educational program for all hospital employees because 
they are frontline health workers. They are in line to get the vaccine, like with the first dose that comes out. So I could see a lot of a lot of trepidation. So I would just hope that they would be educated correctly before things happen. So my daughter is part of it. She's one of the frontline workers and she is concerned now just because these other nurses, I mean, she's brand new, right? She just started a couple of weeks ago, but she's really concerned because these other long-term health professionals are saying these stuff and she's 19. She's worried about having kids someday. So this is now a concern for her. I've been trying to feed her all the debunking information I can, but she still needs to hear it from a medical leadership. There's another phenomenon that happens in very insular communities, whether it's, again, the nurses all at the same hospital or the thing that I've seen particularly lately, wrestlers, you know, all in their own little areas where you are very insular, is misinformation infiltrates those spaces very quickly. And the human mind is designed to want a narrative. And the fact that science is messy and it doesn't sound cool or intriguing, people want to believe things are a lot more interesting than they actually are. And it causes a very us versus them mentality. So in things like these small insulated communities, whether it's a college campus, a hospital, a gym, like anywhere where people are very around each other all the time and around very few outsiders. It's incredibly frustrating. All right. So let's pivot away from this and talk about the big news since we're covering Daredevil right now, dealing with Daredevil. So Charlie Cox is rumored to be returning as Daredevil in Spider-Man 3. Also rumored to be returning are Willem Dafoe and Dane DeHaan, who both played Green Goblin and different spider movies. There's been a meme going around. You may have seen it's so-and-so is going to reprise their role in Spider-Man 3. It's like, you know, Mark Addy is going to be reprising his role at Robert Baratheon in Spider-Man 3. Hayden Christensen's going to be reprising his role as Darth Vader in no, Spider-Man 3. No, instantly not going to watch. I don't know about y'all, but what I think, and talking this out with a couple of my friends, I think we're on the same page. I think they are basically going to be glorified cameos because we're pretty sure that since Dr. Strange is in it and his movie is the multiverse of madness, I'm pretty sure we're going to see glimpses of these previous spider verses. I think if Matt shows up, he might show up as lawyer Matt. I don't know, defending Peter Parker in a thing, but I don't think we can count on them having big full story arcs or grabbing up a lot of screen time at least i really hope not because that's how you get an overstuffed bloated movie i'm just like are they trying to do into the spider-verse there's rumors that they're going to bring miles morales in too so in a roundabout way i think they are i think they saw the into the spider-verse and the success of that even though it was done you know at a, a kind of a lesser level they saw what was going on over in the CW Arrowverse, what they did, they saw Avengers. So they're seeing all this stuff and they're like, okay, well, maybe we can do it too, especially since there's agreement between Sony and Marvel slash Disney right now. It'd be interesting. I'm just glad that Charlie Cox has got another chance to play in the role because I, I just believe that the way the 
corporate infrastructure was between Netflix and Disney, and then the way that the Defenders universe was handled. I, we've talked about it before on Netflix. I think he didn't get a fair shake of being connected into the MCU. Uh, and I, I actually seen him in person at Indianapolis at a con. And I was impressed by him as an actor, as a person. And I just am glad to get him to see him in the role one more time, even if it is a 15 second cameo, because that is what it turned out to be in the Arrowverse crisis thing. When you got all these cameos, 15 seconds at best, like more like five seconds sort of thing. But the, I think the Into the Spider-Verse really convinced them that, hey, we can actually do this and leverage all of this stuff because there are still the, the people out there like, well, Garfield was the best Spider-Man out there. Or Tobey Maguire was the best Spider-Man out there or whatever. Well, maybe now they get their chance to see everybody in the same screen. I legit thought you were talking about Garfield the cat for a second. Meow. There would have to be a lot of lasagna in Spider-Man 3 <laughs> in order to make that happen, which I guess is a possibility being Another in thing that I think is a possibility is this is how they're kind of backdoor sneaking in the X-Men. We know mutants don't exist in current MCU, but in humans do. So maybe we're going to get a glimpse at a world where mutants do exist and then the mutants come over, you know, basically like a backdoor pilot there. Who knows? I don't know. Again, all wild speculation. Or it could be something about how in Endgame, there's all that time travel and they have all these weird thread things that they got to fix and that type of stuff. Who knows? I don't know. Dimensions, time travel. Yeah, we won't know for like another year. Or three. Or three. It's going to be interesting. And our last bit of news is about Disney Plus, Fix Miss Marvel. Okay. There has been a hashtag going around for, I guess, the last day or two as of the time we're recording called hashtag Fix Miss Marvel. There is a Twitter fan account called Ms. Marvel News that collects news on like casting, things like that. And they made a number of posts involving casting rumors. I've seen that, yes, these are confirmed castings. I've seen that they're still rumored. Again, I don't know. Everybody was, including me, was really excited when they cast a Pakistani-American actress to play Ms. Marvel, who is very famously Pakistani-American. Some of the rumored side characters, though. First, we have, the thing is, all of these actors, very good in their own right. I will talk a little more about representation at the end. I am sorry, not sorry. First, we have Zenobia Shroff, rumored as Kamala's mother. The actress is of Indian descent, not Pakistani. This is kind of a huge issue because there's political and religious tensions and between India and Pakistan. It's very contentious. We have Yasmin Fletcher rumored as Nakia. This character, who is Kamala Khan's best friend, is very proudly Turkish and a hijab-wearing Muslim. She's hijabi in the comics and they cast an actress who is of mixed ethnicity and christian the actor who has i guess actually yes been cast as bruno because we we saw pictures of him on set was rumored to be a trump supporter because he had liked some tweets he made a tweet denying it this is a problem because if they're supporting a notoriously islamophobic 
person on a, you know, a show about a Muslim superhero issues. And Andrew Brodeur as Josh. The issue there is they're saying that he was supposedly kicked out of college for multiple Title IX violations, which have to do with Title IX has to do with sexual assault and access, like equal access for genders and things like that. But I've been Googling this all afternoon and all I can find is that somebody said this was the case. I can't find any actual links there. So the last two, I will say, take with a grain of salt. The previous two, okay, I've talked ad nauseum about representation on this show. Something I was discussing with someone else earlier this week on a completely unrelated topic was this wouldn't be as much of a problem if there was already enough recognizable and positive representation of minorities, whether gender minorities, whether ethnic minorities, whether, you know, just anything like that, you know, disabled folk, anything. Because people's opinions, the public's opinions are formed by what they see and who they see. Go back and look at the public reactions to things like Sanford and Son and the Cosby show with regards to public opinion of black people. Go back and look at Will and Grace and Queer Eye for the Straight Guy on how gay people like Gay people were more positively viewed by the public at large after that. So until we have people out there telling not only their own stories, but the case was brought up, why don't they bring in trans actors for roles where, you know, the character is not specifically trans, things like that. Until we have that sort of representation, we need to be seeing people playing themselves on screen or in voices or writing in fiction. I had seen a sway in that direction. So I just hope that it continues, but I also recognize, and and I'm not minimizing what you're saying at all. I just also recognize that this is acting and that you're supposed to be acting. So you, you and again, that wouldn't be a problem if people had already been able to be visibly like if the if a disabled person won an Oscar for not even playing a disabled role, just playing a role, then it wouldn't be such a big deal that abled actors are nominated time and time again for playing disabled characters. It's called cripping up. Right. I mean, Charlie Cox is a good example, right? Exactly. There are worse things being perpetrated against minorities of all kinds, but it's still a very small but important thing to be aware of. Right. And then as we recorded this, there was a bunch of announcements coming out of Disney. We won't even get into that this week because we don't have the full extent of everything and the announcements were going on continuously while we were recording. So we will cover that as it relates to Disney, Marvel, and, and possibly Star Wars next time. And just keep that in your hats that we'll be talking about that next time. And if you have anything to say about it, please let us know and we will include your reactions next time. With that, we have some of your feedback this week to talk about.
So SP, I think it's you that's been doing this, who's been kind of asking a question on our Twitter for the past couple of weeks. I thought it was you. Michelle, is it you? Nope. It was me. Okay. Um, but I've really liked these. And this week's, last week, I guess, technically, the question was, what superpowers would a holiday time Marvel hero have? The ability to eat anything without gaining weight, the ability to wrap the perfect present, the ability to make the perfect cup of hot cocoa, the ability to perfectly decorate or make the perfect snowman. And there's been some good answers there. I will plug mine first because I think it did come first chronologically. Being able to intuit the perfect gifts for everyone. I am don't know about y'all, but I always put off gift buying till the last minute. And that makes it very hard for me to figure out. I can give people gifts any time of year for any reason. Be like, hey, I thought of you. But when you give me a time limit for when a gift needs to be purchased, my brain stops working. My ex-in-laws taught me a trick years ago, and I've been divorced for decades now, I guess. But they started buying holiday gifts like in March, and they just scrolled them away just to keep them. As things came up, as ideas came up, they, they would do that throughout the year. Now, I don't know how practical that is for everybody because not everybody has a place to store the stuff or maybe they'll forget about them or, or stuff like that. But it is a way to do it. That's what my grandma used to do. And when she died and we were going through her room, we found so many presents that she'd forgotten to give over the years. <laughs> we got from Mr. Paracletes. Basically, what you want is a time lord. Need to be able to travel in time to get to all the houses in one night as well as toy making and wrapping, infinite pocket dimension storage for presents, and two hearts for increased metabolism for eating. I don't think it's a bad idea. As a matter of fact, just this past week with the girls, we were watching the Santa Claus, and the thought occurred to me just watching the Santa Claus with Tim Allen, right? And Tim Allen, therefore, even though it wouldn't work in the story or whatever, but I'm pretty sure he was a graduate of Hogwarts because that is the only way that he would be able to do the things that he did in that movie. I really like in the Discworld series, there's a holiday novel called Hog's Watch. And I believe the movie version is still on Amazon Prime. It is very good. I watch it every year. I always cry. But the way the Hog Father works is there's basically a separate dimension for gods and minor deities and things like that. So that's how he's able to do everything in one night is time runs differently there. But yeah, so are we decided that Santa is a time lord? Because I don't think that's terribly unreasonable. I think that is possible. Possible. Yeah, the eight reindeer are his companions. Yeah, it's yes. And the sled is a TARDIS. There we go. There we Mystery go. Mystery solved. And then. Because we don't have the sled around for the other like 11 months out of the year, the chameleon circuit actually works. Okay. We also have from Jeppy Keith, at Jeppy Keith, so Sir Jeffers there, makes sure there's always an extra PS5 or Xbox in stock. And I don't know about y'all, but I have been looking. I have not been finding. <laughs> I just resigned myself that I won't even start looking for one to buy until like March to June next year might even be after that because it's just between the pandemic and the actual how these game consoles actually came out 
they weren't going to be a lot anyway, even without the pandemic. So it was going to be a, a scarcity thing this time around. And there's really no games that take advantage of it right now. They're, they're all still, if you have a PS4 or an Xbox One, you're, you're still good for now. So I, 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 I don't feel compelled to spend 600 bucks on, on one of these things right now, if I can find them or more if I go to the secondary market, which I'm not going to do. No. I figured, yeah, I'll just, you know, we'll we'll just wait. But then, of course, the holidays come around. I'm like, wouldn't it be nice if I got my spouse this present? What you could do is get gift cards for one, right? So when you can find it at wherever retailer that <laughs> you're going true. for, you could use them. Or you could do what I did. And I bought myself and my mom. We both have one square foot of land. In Scotland, so I am officially Lady Michelle. You may bow. Oh, my lady. Thank you. Do we call you my lady now or agent uh, Michelle or my lady agent or agent my lady? I mean, how, I like how does the this sound work? of my lady agent? Yeah, we're going to have to workshop this. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. So we'll try to get another one of these fun ones out before we record next time. So in the meantime, Michelle, you have an idea of what we should be doing right now? We're going to take the back stairs out. Had a lot of great discussion this week, a lot of unplanned great discussions. So we went a little bit long this week, but thank you very much for listening all the way to this point. Really appreciate that. And we're going to keep episodes coming throughout the holidays, even though we're not going to be live streaming and we will come at you really looking forward to WandaVision. So if you have anything to say about WandaVision, if you have anything to say about the Disney announcements that came out, we would love to hear from you. And thank you very much for listening to this show. I'd like to thank SP and Michelle for all their hard work. Yeah, SP, just you're a podcasting machine, just chugging along. It's impressive. Michelle, the work you do every week with the notes and everything, it's, you guys are both absolutely fantastic. And I think all of us, the audience, me, everyone, we're lucky to have you. Uh, if I wasn't have to do social distancing, I'd h give you a hug right now. I know. And really also, Lauren, thank you. You are our social media maven. I mean, you interact a lot. You live tweet. And you bring us news. I mean, sometimes I find news, but you bring us news that even was not on my radar. So this is really a team effort in everything. We're all important. This is how Matt Murdock, Foggy, and Karen should be working. This, this is what it is, people, right here. <laughs> Do I get to be Foggy or Matt? Um, I feel like you're Foggy. You're like okay. the grounded one who's following the procedures and making sure everything runs. That's good because I don't want to have oozing wounds. So I, I'm good with being foggy. I think I might be the one with the oozing wounds. <laughs> I don't have a gun, but I do have a baseball bat. There you go. So until next time, I'm producer of the show, SP. I'm Agent Lauren. And I'm Agent Michelle. See you everybody next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you want to leave us feedback, go to gunageek.com and you will find all our contact information and other shows.
You can also visit legendsofshield.com where you'll find our complete archive of podcasts. The music heard on this podcast is by Kevin McLeod, found at incompetech.com and also artists on pond5.com and audiojungle.net. The opinions heard on this podcast are those of the individual hosts and do not represent Stargate Pioneer Productions, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., or Gunna Geek. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is the property of the Disney Corporation, Marvel Studios, and ABC. No infringement is intended. Um, is there something going on with like Disney and Star Wars right now? Oh yes, it's Disney Investor Day, so they oh. done. They just, I guess, finished a press conference about all of the their owned properties. There's some stuff that it's like, hey, this show's getting another season, blah blah blah, and then they announced so much new stuff, so much Star Wars stuff for Disney Plus. They announced a bunch of original series and new movies, and yeah, I'm very excited. Yeah, they're still planning on putting Black Widow in the theaters. Yeah, I saw that yesterday, like dropped as a spoiler or as a preview or whatever yesterday. And they're doing Ashoka. And what? It seems they might be doing Ashoka. Yeah, they're doing an Ashoka show. Uh, yeah. The Cassian Andor one that they've been talking about forever. New Republic too, right? They're doing a bunch of New Republic stuff. Uh, there's Rangers of the Republic, which also takes place around the same time as Mandalorian. There's the Obi-Wan series. There's the Lando series starring Daniel Glover. There's some animated short stuff. There's, oh, geez, what else did I, I retweeted so much stuff. Oh, a Bad Batch movie based on the clones. Oh, yeah. Animated. Yeah. I'm excited about that one. I just saw season three, episode one, right before here, which is their uh, retro intro, basically. Yeah. Oh, God. I remember season three, like the show had been really good until then. I feel like season three was when it like kicked into high gear and just never let up. Yeah. As excited as I am for everything, I worry quite a bit because. We all saw what happened with the Defenders universe when Marvel, a division of Disney, started to go off in a different path. So I worry about what's going to happen two years from now sort of thing. Too much? <laughs> I don't think they're going to drop it all at once. It seems like it's for the next like three years. Yeah. They were talking about 2023, 2024. but. Well, let me put it this way. Star Trek universe after the next generation. You went next generation, PS9 Voyager, Enterprise. By the time it got to Enterprise, there was extreme fatigue with Star Trek. Of course, that was after 20-some years, but I think they have to be very conscious about how they use Star Wars. We've got a year, basically, between Mandalorian series and everybody just craving it because they haven't had it, but who knows what's going to happen. So I have my concerns while I've enjoyed Mandalorian. Oh my God. I forget you have the Mandalore arc, the first Mandalore arc coming up in season yeah. three. Well, Corruption. maybe 
Maybe some of these shows will actually have an ending and perhaps evolve into something else. Yeah, I think for the most part, a lot of them are one and done seasons. Like the Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan is supposed to just be eight episodes. That's it. Uh, Donald Glover as Lando, I'm pretty sure one season, that's it. Like, I really do think that a lot of this is one and done stuff. I'll have to take a look. I mean, and <laughs> somebody's streaming uh, their consciousness live on another Discord server. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's a lot of stuff. I had no idea that this was going on today. But I'll have to take a look at it. And like I said, I've been enjoying Discovery. I've been enjoying Mandalorian. I know I'm going to enjoy The Expanse. So I've been enjoying these things. I just worry that it's too much for Star Wars. But we'll see. They've got a lot to play with. Honestly, I think the TV series is a better way to go than movie after movie after movie because there's more room for things to sit and breathe. And a lot of the complaints about the new movies has been things just happen. Yeah. Oh, I was, um, you know, what popped up on Netflix for me. I don't know how long it's been there or whatever. Uh, Stargate SG-1. Oh, really? Yeah. The all entire season. Yeah, really? all 10 yep. seasons. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it had been on, I think, Amazon Prime for a while, and now it's back on Netflix. Yeah, I haven't actually really watched it. Is it in 4 by 3 Probably, yeah. Okay. The first seven seasons are so good. I kind of enjoyed the last three as well. The last three were fun, but I feel like... The first arc was eight seasons, by the way. It wasn't seven. Yeah, I know, but I didn't like season eight as much. Okay. I think <laughs> Richard Dean Anderson was phoning it in by then, but yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. It really got me back into sci-fi. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that, especially after the darkness and seriousness of BSG. You had kind of this campy <laughs> series. It was really fun to watch. Absolutely. Have you watched Babylon 5? I planned to, since I'm <gasps> in the treadmill and all this time I've, I've been trying to churn through series and that was one of them farscape was another yes Both yeah of those so good they're so good they don't really land the ending but here's the thing with farscape um it like got canceled but then they were able to do like this the movie war yeah yeah thing and then with babylon five the fourth season they were basically told that you're going to get canceled and so parts of it are, it's still good, but then all of a sudden it's like, no, let's do a fifth season. And they're kind of like, yeah, well. there was behind the scenes drama regarding that, yeah. like regarding why Claudia Christian and yeah. just everything there. So, yeah, but it's still good. It's still good. Yeah. So I, I still suggest it, especially seasons two and three. Oh, um, seasons and four, two, two, and three. two and three. And then you get Walter Koenig. Yes, it is not Chekhov. Oh no, he's <laughs> no, oh, oh, is yeah, so, that's right. I have yeah. seen a few episodes here and there, and I think I saw one with him in totally out of context or anything. I just so saw evil. it. Yeah. So, oh, yes, it is so great. I love it when you can take an actor when it's like because the first time I saw him, it's like, oh yeah, and then I'm like, he's evil. Oh my gosh, it's so, great. I have a fun story about Walter Koenig. My story about Walter Koenig, it didn't actually happen to me, but it happened a couple of years before I went to college. I was in a club in college, Seth and Variable, 
we put on a convention like every year since the 60s, except for a couple times. One of them involved Harlan Ellison getting the club banned in its first year. It was the whole thing. Anyway, the year that Walter Koenig came down, he shows up, you know, on that Thursday and Friday. And then Saturday, he's missing. He's missing all day. Nobody can get a hold of him. No one knows where he is. It's like the early mid 90s. So cell phones weren't a thing yet. Yeah, pagers are barely a thing. Sunday morning, he shows up. Somebody's dumped him off. Apparently, what had happened is on that Friday night, like he told his like guest, the guest coordinator person that they get assigned to like drive him places and everything. He was like, I want to go to a party. So Walt, Walter Koenig spent Friday night, Saturday, up until Sunday morning, just hopping from frat party to frat party, just all the way down fraternity <laughs> row. Oh, that's awesome. And then was returned on Sunday. Those guys had no idea who he was. <laughs> it, yes. He's just having um, fun. When you run a convention crazy. for 50 some years, you get some good stories. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So have either of y'all seen the movie Law Abiding Citizen? Not that I can recall. No. You are not missing out. It is very bad. Um, Oh, yeah. Why? I was getting flashbacks to it this episode. Okay. It's a spoiler. Why do either of y'all care about getting spoiled for this terrible, terrible movie? Please. Okay. So the whole thing is Gerard Butler's in jail for like killing the guy who killed his family. But then like from jail, all this stuff keeps happening on the outside. Like Jamie Foxx is the the guy who is like the ADA who I guess like didn't prosecute because there wasn't enough evidence about them killing his family. I don't know. And it had the potential to be a really interesting movie. But. The reveal was that the whole time Gerard Butler planned to get arrested and spent like two years digging a hole in the jail cell that he knew he was going to be placed in. So instead of like him having this web on the outside and stuff like that, it's just no, he he leaves the jail cell and nobody notices somehow. And then he comes back and it's so it's a terrible movie. I would like to just save you 10 hours. I didn't really intentionally like watch Hellstrom. It was like one of those things I needed something. on. I heard it's bad. It is so bad. (laughs) It's not even so bad. It's corny sort of deal like where you can like fun hate watch it or something like that or just like be cheesy and watch it. (sighs) It's just bad. I had been hoping because I really like the supernatural stuff and the Marvel universe and i was hoping they would be able to do something and then the more i heard about it the more i'm like this is just any it's so bad it's so bad it's just so bad between that and so i have saved you the new selena and i have saved you it's a month for disappointment yeah i have saved you i've saved you 10 hours i have saved this podcast (laughs) (laughs) five to ten episodes so so, Lauren, last night, I know you're like a half a country away, but did you feel a, a big boom about this time last night? No. SpaceX SN8 
slamming down into the pad in Boca Chica. Did you see it? Did you hear about it? No. No? So SpaceX is creating this new rocket ship called Starship. It's going to take people to Mars. So they're doing progressive tests of bigger and bigger test articles. They're called SN, and they got to SN8, and they did a nine-mile-in-the-air hop yesterday uh, with three engines. It's supposed to have, I forget how many, like about 20. But they went up with three engines. They went up to nine miles. They came back down. It worked great. It set up for landing and then oh, just slammed into the pad and just blew up. It was a huge explosion. Oh, gee. Wow. But it, everything worked. And Elon Musk, he's like, yeah, we, we had some uh, loss of pressure in the tank. Uh, no big deal. We're looking forward to the uh, next one. So they're one. not blaming snipers this time. Yeah, not this time. No. no. So SN9 and SN10 are currently under construction. And they have plans up to SN15, which will be a major change in the, in the shape of the design and everything. So they're fine. They expected a failure, so it's no big deal. But it, it was a spectacular flight right up until the time that it experienced RUD. And I was <laughs> like, what is RUD? Have you heard of RUD before? No, not off the top of my head. I'm a rocket scientist, and I had not heard of RUD before. It turns out that RUD stands for rapid unplanned disassembly okay Okay. i was trying to rapid rad doesn't that just mean crash yes yes Yes, that's technical term for it crashed and blew up there are many many clever acronyms in aerospace engineering i've learned this is a new one for me and actually elon musk tweeted it out like seconds after the thing so i guess it goes to him, but all the articles and everything have been saying Rudd. And even at my work, everybody was saying, well, that's something I hadn't heard of before. And I work with a bunch of like rocket scientists. So what does the second D stand for in Paul Rudd then? <laughs> Let's see. Rapid on plan disassembly. Disaster. Yeah. Doofus. <laughs> Disaster. Yes. There you go, Paul. We have redefined your last name. <laughs> I started watching Queen's Gambit. Oh, that's so good. That is so good. Yeah. I only saw the first episode so far, but I am very intrigued. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Highly recommend that. I have five, uh, five seasons of Clone Wars to go through first here. So. But on the upside, there are only 22 minute episodes. Yeah, I get through three to four a night on the elliptical treadmill, whatever I'm doing and, and warm up, cool down sort of thing. Uh, but. I do take time off. That's where I watch these Daredevil episodes. I, I watched them when I was working out. So it's not every day that I can go through mm-hmm. all those episodes. And I was shocked that one of these episodes was so long. It was like over an hour or something like that. Okay. There's a few that they probably that they have them packaged. No, I meant one of these Daredevil episodes. Oh, the Daredevil. Oh, yeah. yeah. So that ate up a lot of time, so to speak. Yeah. I was trying to get through them before the end of the Mandalorian. I know that's not going to happen now, but I'm seeing so much that I've seen in rebels or Mandalorian or on screen. So you haven't got to the Umbara arc. I don't think. Nope. I think that's season four. That is one of my favorite arcs, both thematically and visually. And there was some controversy about it. I was. Yeah. 
<laughs> I had opinions. So I've been watching that on, on the treadmill elliptical. So at night when I have time and that's not every night, like it, on the nights I podcast for better podcasting or getting a geek, I, I don't have time to do it, but I've been trying to catch up with the discovery, which yes. I'm, I guess today I'm three episodes behind because they just dropped a new one today. Right. Yeah. Today or tomorrow. One of those it's Thursday. So, okay. Would be today. And then the Mandalorian, I try to catch that on Friday or Saturday night. So, and I've got Nova episodes to catch up on. And, and it just, I'm trying to be very judicious with the stuff that I watch. And for that, I thank you very much, Michelle, because yes. there's just so much good on TV that to subject myself to watch not good TV, like Hellstrom, as you say, I'm, I'm totally grateful for not having to go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> So I, I like, might I might do an angry hate watch on our Twitter if there is a call oh, for it. But yeah. go ahead. Uh, but I, I, I don't have the focus right now. Yeah, I would just like permission to scratch it off the possible topics that we yeah. talk about. Yeah, okay, good. good, good, excellent. So now that we have that all of the way, how about we talk some Daredevil? Yeah, let's get to it. Wow, I am I am checking my. I get an email feed from Deadline Hollywood. There's so much that we get to talk about. Ant-Man 3 gets a new title. She-Hulk news. She-Hulk news. Um, Disney Plus is raising its price. Um, Seems like uh, Falcon and a Winter Soldier comes in in March. Kevin Feige confirms not recasting Chadwick Baldwin. You know, Chadwick and... There's supposed to be a new Fast Fantastic Four movie. Why? Um, it was inevitable. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff. So I'll I'll make sure I keep these. And yeah. Oh. Yeah, my friend just texted me. They're doing Secret Invasion, but as a show. Yeah. Oh, so much. Okay. Yeah, uh, there's a lot. Yeah i I need to eat dinner, but I also need to read the news. So. <laughs> Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is copyright 2013 through 2020.